I want to invite you to grab your Bibles with me this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app, but join me, if you will, in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. There's a guy by the name of Sean Aker who has written a book named the ha- called The Happiness Advantage. He graduated from Harvard University, goes around speaking at different places, and he talks about how what we put in our minds has a big impact on how we think and how we live. Now, as far as I know, Sean Aker is not a Christian. Recently, though, I was listening to something that he said, and I thought it was quite interesting. He was giving this uh, talk about happiness, and in this talk, he relayed a particular incident that had happened to him in his life. And so, some years back, uh, there was this prestigious boarding school in New England that had contacted him and was interested in having him come out and speak uh, about some, uh, uh, over a week that they were calling a wellness week. And so he's on the phone with a particular person who is uh, organizing this wellness week at this prestigious boarding school. And this person on the other end of the phone says this. He says, okay, on Monday night, we are going to have one of the nation's leading experts on adolescent depression come in and speak. On Tuesday, we are going to have a session on school violence and bullying. On Thursday, we are going to cover eating disorders. On Friday, illicit drug use. Now, this guy, he's having, Sean's uh, talking with this guy on the other end of the phone, and he says to him, uh, Sean says, "Uh, that doesn't sound much like a wellness week. That actually sounds like a sickness week. You know, uh, he says... What we think about is very much um, uh, depends on or impacts how we live our lives. And uh, if we think about every conceivably bad thing that's going to happen, that's not going to be an encouragement to us. I just happened to come across this uh, talk from Sean Akers as I was reading this verse in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 this week. In preparation for today's message, it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let your mind, let your brain be consumed by the things that are true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Friends, this verse was written by a guy who was an inmate awaiting trial. When the Apostle Paul was writing this, he was under house arrest. And I wonder if he maybe got a little stir-crazy. I mean, he couldn't go too far. He's chained to this Roman guard. He's just staring at the same four walls each and every day. And your mind can begin to wonder. Your mind can begin to be pulled into this deep spiraling anxiety in those moments. Now, not only was Paul going through difficult circumstances that could lead to worry, that could lead to anxiety, but he's writing to a group of people who are in this city of Philippi in northern Greece, and they're also facing difficulties. They are also facing anxious circumstances. And he tells them, 
In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, friends, listen to me. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's coaching them about what they should think about. He's challenging them with regard to thinking about what they think about. You look at that verse and you think, well, you know what, that belongs on a plaque somewhere. or That belongs on the side of a wall somewhere. And it does. But that verse can be so life-altering. Because in the long run, so much of who we become is not simply based on what happens to us, but where our minds go and where our hearts go in relationship to what happens to us. Meaning that, that we are not shaped by the disappointments of life, but we are shaped by the way that we process those disappointments in the long run. In the short run, we can feel kind of body slammed. We can feel like the wind has just been knocked out of us. We can feel abandoned and betrayed and deserted. We can feel alone. We can feel angry. We can feel sadness in the short run, but in the long run, Time after time, as time goes by, week after week, month after month, year after year, we, we process these disappointments. And, you know, people can often go into radically different ways as we process these things in our lives, depending on what you think about and how you process this in your heart. Two guys, they both feel like they've been unfairly dismissed from their jobs. That their careers have been kind of derailed. Ten years later, you check in on them and you have a conversation and one of them is just kind of clenching his teeth and he says, you know what? That company destroyed my life. You interview the other person, something very, very similar happened to them, almost identical. And they say, well, you know what? That, that might have messed up my career in that particular field. It, it, and yet it did not mess up my life. It, it didn't have the power to destroy my life. What happened there? Why the difference with two people who experience very similar things? How can one of them respond with grace and with life and be able to move ahead, to move forward, while the other just seems to be absolutely derailed by something that happened a decade before this? Where our heart and where our mind go in response to the disappointments of life can often be one of the greatest indicators of the man or the woman that we are going to become. You've seen it, I've seen it. Two individuals both have a good friend bail on them, totally just kind of walk away from the friendship. One of the people is gracious and approachable. The other person is just bitter and repels people away. You say, they both went through similar circumstances. What happened there? What happened is not only the disappointing event that can shape us, but it's also then how that relates and how we think about that, how we respond in our heart and our mind to these disappointing events. And not so much in the short run, but it's in the long run that can make the biggest difference. Listen, especially those of you who are in middle school and high school and young adults, some of you are going through something that is really lousy. Maybe you've been through something recently that was really lousy. I want to say to you, guard your heart. 
Guard your mind. Because who you are when you are 26 or 27 or 28 has more to do with the condition of your heart, with how you process these things, with the condition of your mind, than it does with the lousy event that took place and happened in your life. And this just means two things. It means, number one, that there is hope. But it also means that there is a responsibility that we have, that there is a responsibility to think about what we think about, to guard our hearts, to guard our minds. And Paul just writes this. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And this can be an absolute life changer when we're talking about moving through and processing through a season of deep disappointment or difficulty. And so I'm just saying that I think that what we're going to talk about today here is extremely important to our lives. It's important because it has to do with the man or the woman that we are going to become or that we are becoming in the long run. To talk about this, I have three questions that I want us to ask ourselves today. Three questions that I want us to consider today. And question number one is just this. What do you think about? Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so number one, what do you think about? What occupies your mind? What is it that you focus on? Now, we're going to put this verse back up on the screen, but we've broken it down just a little bit differently. I want you to just see this here. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, do you notice there the whatever, whatever, whatever? You might think about that. You might see that there. You might say, well, Paul, that was just kind of a waste of whatevers. Why didn't you put all those whatevers in? Just take those whatevers out. Whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Just think about that. That's not the way he's written it, though. This is a lyrical writing here. It's, it's like a poetry. It, it, it wasn't just written for the eye, but it's written for the ear as well. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You just go down through a few of those once and you say, well, whatever's true. You know what? I'm the only one who helps out around here. Probably not true. It may feel like that at times, but that's probably not true. You know, everybody hates me. Probably not true. There may come a day when you feel that way, but it's probably not true. Whatever's just. That that just has to do with fairness, uh, how people are being treated, if they're being treated fairly. You know, in fact, we live in a culture that is just obsessed with injustice. That, that there are all of these different circumstances where, where people are just thinking about the, the treatment of people being treated unfairly. And, and Paul, I find this fascinating. He, rather than saying, 
uh, you know, being consumed with everything that's wrong. He, he, he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about going around just being consumed with everything that wrong, that's wrong. He says, be consumed with everything that's right. Focus on those times when people are being treated fairly. Whatever's pure. It's talking about things that are unpolluted and uncontaminated, that are clean and clear and refreshing. Whatever's lovely, it just has to do with beauty. It has to do with something that is appealing. And Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Put your mind, set your mind on those things. Now, even though in our culture today we've become increasingly secular, you still see around a lot of crosses, right? You see crosses everywhere. That, that You see people wearing crosses as jewelry or maybe decorating their house with crosses. Um, you see crosses on church buildings here in this neighborhood and around the city. You know, because crosses are seen in so many different places, I think that whenever we see a cross, it, it, could, it should kind of trigger something in our minds and in our hearts. The fact that Jesus Christ, he came very personally into this world. He lived on this earth. And why did he come? Well, he came and he had a purpose. He had a mission. And, and that mission was to save lost sinners like us. To, to make it possible that we would have a right relationship with the holy and righteous God of the universe. The cross is not something that should just be taking up space in our lives. It's not just something that we decorate with. No, the cross is a reminder. A reminder that Jesus Christ came very personally for me. Came very personally for you. Those are the things that we should treasure. Those are the things that we should consume our minds with. That we should think about. If your heart was a bank account... What is it that you would be keeping there? As Christians, we should be consumed with the things of God wherever we go in life and whatever we do. That whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And then I find this really fascinating. In fact, he says, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Like the aroma of fresh baked cookies coming out of the oven. Or, or clinging to a Bible verse in a very difficult time of life. Something like, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. That you think about the things that are true and honorable. That are just and pure. That are excellent and worthy of praise. Maybe you look out into the backyard and, and you see some birds and they're feeding at the bird feeder in the early morning hours. Or there's a worship song that just draws you to God and, and when you feel a particular burden in your life, that song just keeps coming back to your mind. Maybe it's the beautiful flowers out in the garden. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. 
think what the Apostle Paul is pleading for here is this, that he's kind of saying, throw open the doors of your life, throw open the windows of your life, and maybe if you could see through those windows and through those doors that you might catch a glimpse of God's goodness wherever you go. A beautiful meal that has been well prepared. A late night sunrise or sunset. A song that's moving. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That we focus our minds on the goodness of God. That person at work that, that stays late to help out, to help get this particular project done when they didn't have to. You, you might be thinking at times like, you know what? It seems that people come into work late all the time and everybody always leaves early. They, they, no one works hard anymore. You know, that's probably not true. Focus on the goodness that you see in people's lives. Focus. You focus on that six-year-old girl who actually shares her toys. Do you see it? Or maybe you're sitting in a restaurant and you see this older couple and they've been married for like 60 years. They've been through some real ups and some real downs in their lives. And yet he is still kind to her and she still treasures him. Think about that. That, 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 that who we are becoming is often a result of how we think about and how we process the things of our lives. Now, when, when Paul says whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He is not saying, well, just pretend like there aren't any bad situations in life. Don't just pretend like the bad things really aren't bad. Just pretend like the bad things aren't uh, there. I don't think he's saying that at all. He's in prison when he's writing this. He's writing this to a congregation that is very much in crisis. And I think that he is pleading for them to take the life challenges that they're experiencing and to see those life challenges in view of and, and understanding the overarching umbrella of God's goodness, the overarching umbrella of God's redemption, His grace, His mercy, that we view things in light of that. And so instead of just thinking about what we think about, I, I want us to also think about how we think about it. Question number one was, what do you think about? And question number two is, how do you think about it? What is the lens through which you are viewing these things? What is the lens through which you're viewing life? You know, we all look at uh, life through a particular lens. And so what is the lens that you are using for both life's greatest joys and deepest disappointments? What lens are you looking through? Verse 9 there of Philippians chapter 4. Paul gives these four expressions, and I want you to notice them here. He says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And Paul's writing to his friends who he's been separated from by this long distance, and he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the question that could come to our minds is this. Well, what had this group of people who are there in this Philippian uh, city, this uh, northern Greek city of Philippi, 
What have they learned and received and heard and seen in Paul? When we read this, we need to remember that it was written by a real person, that it was written to real people. Years earlier, Paul and his team, they had visited this city, they had visited this town. And when they had visited, they brought along with them a message. And the message was the message of the gospel. And it is the gospel that they had learned and received and heard and seen in Paul. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news that a generous creator had entered into this broken and messed up planet in the person of Jesus Christ. That while Jesus was here, he generously sacrificed his life for us. But even though Jesus died, he died on the Roman cross. Even though Jesus was uh, laid in a tomb, he did not stay dead. In fact, because of the resurrection, he is alive and well and he is returning. And one day he is going to restore and redeem and reconcile all things to himself. Paul's message was this, believe and follow. It's the overarching story of the generosity of God. And so this lens that Paul it was seeing all of life through, the life's greatest joys and life's deepest disappointments, life's greatest trials, he, he was, we could uh, boil this all down to maybe just four points that we would call creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. That in the beginning, God created, he created the world, he created every living thing, the plants, the birds, the reptiles, the animals, the, even people. And we hear this repeated refrain in Genesis chapter 1. That, that repeated refrain says this, it says, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, it was good, it was good, it was all good. But it doesn't take long before there's a nasty thing that happens called the fall, where sin enters this planet. And now there is something wrong with everything. It's not that everything is wrong with everything all the time, but there is something wrong with everything. Something is wrong in every school. Something is wrong in every company. Something's wrong in every government. Something's wrong even in every church. Something's wrong in every organization. Something is wrong in the human heart. It is the effects of sin that are everywhere. But then we have redemption. That Jesus Christ entered into this broken planet. He offers himself to us in order that we might be reconciled. That we might be reconciled and, and there would be peace between us and God. If you open your Bible to the last couple chapters of the Bible. You can read this in Revelation chapter 21. In verses 3 through 5 it says this. It's talking about the restoration of all things. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. My friends, on our days of deep disappointment, we are living in this land in between. We are living with the consequences of sin and the fall. 
And even though Jesus Christ is redeeming some of those things right now, we, we are not fully experiencing that right now. There is coming a day when we will experience that, when we will experience eternity in his presence in the new heavens and the new earth. Right now, we live with the effects of sin in this fallen world. But there is coming a day where God is going to make all things new. It is a perfect paradise, and we need to think about that. What this does when we are deeply disappointed, we remind ourselves that we're, this is not the way that God wanted it to be. This is not the way that it will be someday. And even though God is, uh, these things are happening, it, it's amazing to think that God is strangely, he has the ability to even take these bad things in our lives right now and turn them around for his glory and for our good. But it's the way that we look at things, it's the lens through which we look at things that can give us a, a totally different perspective. And, and this is not just what we think about, but it's how we think about it. Just back there to, to verse 9 again quickly, it says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Paul had practiced this. Chapter 1 of Philippians. Paul's incarcerated. He's writing to his friends and he says, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be in this place for a lot longer or not. I mean, this upcoming trial that, that, that I'm going to have it could end, end in my release, or it could end in my execution. But he says, he says this in chapter 1 and verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, you know what, they might execute me, but if they do, I will be in the loving arms of my Savior. I will be with the one who has loved me more incredibly and more fully than any other person on this world, in this world, on this planet, ever has or ever could. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this is why he was able to write then, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Because he was doing it. He was doing it himself. But this last phrase, practice these things, it should haunt us a little bit. It should haunt us because it means that it's possible to learn and receive and hear and see these things practiced and yet not put them into practice in our own lives. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that God created everything good and one day he's going to redeem everything and it's going to be good again. Look, there is a big difference between knowing and learning and hearing and seeing somebody else practice it and then practicing it yourself in your own life. When Paul says practice these things, he's not saying that this is just something that's automatic that happens. When you get deeply disappointed in life, abandoned, rejected, betrayed, how you, how you begin to think, how you begin to process in your heart is massive as it relates to the person that you're becoming. Because the man or the woman that you become has less to do with what has actually happened in your life. It has more to do in the long run with where that takes your heart and where that takes your mind. And so you're visiting a friend of yours. She's got some kids. Her kids are going back to school. 
They, they went back to school this past week, and she says, you know what? We've just been so busy. We've been running around to all of the different stores trying to get the right school supplies, get the right, right clothes, the right shoes, the, the right backpacks. And my kids, they're involved in all of these uh, different sporting activities. And, and so we're running everywhere. We, we haven't really got into a routine yet. Things are just hectic. And so this past week, I really have, meal planning has just kind of gone out the window. Well, she has an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so she says, you know what? I, I've just uh, kind of done this. I put out uh, some, some orange pop and a big bag of Swedish fish. And so whenever they get hungry, I just say, go for it. I mean, you, 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 you just eat, drink whatever you want. You know what? I haven't cooked in three days. And you look at her and you say, you know what? You're my friend and all, but you should be arrested. I mean, because the reality, you're thinking like, you know what? Uh, not only is this going to rot your kid's teeth if this is the way that they're eating, but it can't be healthy for anyone to digest like this. Well, question number three is this. What do you feed your brain? What do you feed your brain? When it comes to what we feed our brain, does it move us to worry and anxiety? Or does it move us towards peace and joy? What do you feed your brain? Now, here comes the fun part. Um, I want us to kind of think about this in categories. What do you feed your brain topic by topic here, okay? And so the first one just has to do with music. What do you feed your brain as it relates to music? And does it lead you to anger and resentment? Or does it lead you to worry and anxiety? Or does it lead you to peace and joy? A few years back, I was talking to some of the teenagers who, went, uh, who were part of our youth group at the time. And we were talking about what it is that we listen to as far as the music that we listen to. And I told them that they needed to delete anything that was on their playlist that had to do with, uh, that talked about women in a negative or demeaning way, anything that had to do with violence or uh, killing people, uh, anything that had to do with drugs or alcohol. And so afterwards, uh, one of the kids came up to me and he says, um, you know, if I do what it is that you're saying and I delete all of these things from my playlist, I'm going to have to delete like 90% of my playlist. How does the music that you listen to impact you? Is it healing and encouraging? Or is it destructive? What do you feed your brain? Music. Secondly, what do you feed your brain? News. Uh, listen, friends. The news just thrives on disaster and scandal and murder and fear. And the challenge with the news is that what can happen over time is that we are con continually ingesting this news media and, and we can begin to think of everything in a negative way. We begin to think that negative things um, that, that happen are just the norm in our world today. That there is nothing good that ever happens. But that's not the case. Yes, there are things that are dangerous and disasters that happen in our world. But you know what? They never break into the news or the TV show that you're watching. And they never say this. Hey, we interrupt this program to bring you another news item. We've just discovered that there is currently no natural disasters in Michigan, Indiana, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming. Now back to your regular scheduled programming. They never do that, do they? 
Instead, they're always focusing on everything that is wrong all the time. Why do they print the things that they do in the, the papers, on the internet, in, in the news? Well, it's because we just lap these things up. And we can begin to think that the whole world, that everyone around us is a thief, a liar, a murderer, a womanizer, a cheat. And I'm not sure how that is supposed to encourage us to be the men and women of God that he is calling us to be. What do you feed your brain? Music, news, movies, and TV. You know, there are all kinds of popular movies and TV shows today that are just filled with nudity, profanity, and treachery. And some people will justify watching these things by saying, well, you know what? These movies and TV shows, they're just portraying this battle between good and evil. They're, they're just portraying this battle between right and wrong. But my question is, well, is it good for us to regularly consume these type of things? Because this is always the question that we need to ask. What, what, what does this do to our hearts? What does this do to our minds? Does property brothers make you hate your house? You know, you watch this great TV show and everyone, uh, there's this house, this guy, this couple, they're, they're upset about their house. They, it's just not working for them. And so these guys come in and they just tear it apart and they remake it. When you watch the show at the end, you turn it off and, and you look at yourself and you say, you know what? I don't think I'm really content with my house. I used to be content with my house, but I'm not anymore. What do you feed your brain? Movies and TV, social media. There are sociological reports that are coming out and they are saying that there is a direct correlation between how much we view social media and how depressed we are. And so if you find yourself just consumed by sadness and depression and you are just continually glued to your phone, maybe your phone is actually the problem. No, seriously, Jason, I mean, I, I need to check my phone because uh, there, there's something is going on somewhere with someone. Well, sure there is. And you know what? These people are doing it without you. And that's the reason why you are sad and lonely and depressed. You know, I would love for you to just consider the fact that maybe just having one or two real friends who really care about you might be actually more powerful in your life than having 2,000 friends who have friended you and don't really care about you at all. What do you feed your brain? Music, news, movies and TV, social media, and then just memories. You see, the deal with this is that we forget what we need to remember and we remember what we need to forget. The past is not necessarily a bad thing. You visit the past in order to find healing, to find forgiveness from God and from others. But wallowing in the past is a totally different story. And if thinking about and dwelling on the past leads you to worry and anxiety, then maybe you need to leave the past in the past. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. He said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
The imagery here is this imagery of a race. It's right out of the Olympics. And it's these runners who are running a race. And he says, you know what? You just need to forget about yesterday. Unless it is crucial in helping you move forward toward tomorrow. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We remember what we need to forget, and we forget what we need to remember. We we remember what we need to forget. We remember those mistakes that we've made, that, that, that opportunity that we blew. We fixate and we obsess on the money that we wasted, on the time that we wasted, on the person that we hurt. We forget about what we need to remember. We forget that Jesus Christ came for us when we were far, far away from him. That God chased us down. That he loves you more than you could ever possibly believe. That his grace is sufficient to cover all of our sins. We remember what we need to forget and we forget what we need to remember. And so what do you feed your brain? What are you feeding your brain? Because what you think about and how you think about it will have a big impact on the person that you are in the process of becoming. As we kind of wrap things up here this morning, I have an image of two faucets that we're going to put up on the screen. And what I'd like for us to think about is just one of these faucets is kind of the bad input into our lives. Activities that hurt us, uh, uh, hurt our mind, that hurt our souls. That, that faucet, it needs to be turned down. It needs to be maybe even turned completely off. And then there's this other faucet there. And that other faucet, it represents the things in life, those, the, those things that, that are being put into our minds, into our hearts, that help us, that cause us to live with greater peace and greater joy and reflect the work of God and the image of God in our lives. And that faucet reminds you that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And my question to you is this. What faucet needs to be turned down or off in your life? And what faucet needs to be turned on or up in your life? And I think that for all of us, that there are things that we need less of and that there are other things that we need more of in life. That first faucet could really be anything. It could be the video games that we play. It could be the movies that we watch, the websites that we surf, the news that we devour. And you just say, you know what, I would be so much better off if I would just turn that off or turn it down at least. This other faucet, it could be any number of things as well. It could be maybe journaling about things that you're thankful for. That instead of just being consumed by everything that is bad in your life and around you, that instead you regularly remind yourself of the blessings of God. Maybe you say, you know what, I've been in this habit of, of listening to this music that I shouldn't be listening to. And I need to turn that off. I need to turn that down. And I need to, to, to pick some good Christian songs to listen to this week. Because I need to fill my mind with the things of God. Maybe you say, well, 
you know what, um, there's this worry and there's this anxiety that I've been experiencing. And what I need to do is I need to uh, lay my request before the Lord. I need to uh, approach him in prayer and, and plead with him to give me the peace that only he can provide. Maybe it's finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I just need to read that every morning. I need to read that every night for the rest of my life so that my brain and my heart are fixated on those things. I, I don't know what it is for you, I, but I do want you to think about it. I do want you to maybe even write this down. What is something in my life that I just need to dial back, turn off? And what's something that I need to dial up or turn on? The Apostle Paul, he ends this section of scripture by just saying this. He says, and the peace of God will be with you. Uh, sorry, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, he doesn't say the peace of God. And I wonder, well, why doesn't he say that? Why, why doesn't he say the peace of God will be with you? Instead, he says the God of peace will be with you. I, I think he says that because he wa wants us to not just experience peace in our lives. But he wants us to experience God in our lives. I, I, I don't think that he's saying, you know what? I, I just want you to walk in peace. He's saying, I want you to walk in God. That as you walk with him through life's greatest joys and through those deepest challenges that you would begin to experience peace from the God of peace. Let's pray.